Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If God gave you a gift, would you try to return it? Sometimes the gift we need isn't something we'll like. Founding pastor Randy Pope brings us this sermon entitled The Three Most Unwanted Gifts from God, which covers 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 and 8, and other selected texts. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. a great uh, privilege to uh, be able to preach today. Uh, my, the timing of my week to preach in this, uh, this year is uh, both good and bad timing. Uh, the bad timing is you can hear my voice. And uh, many of you, though, can remember the days of Steve Brown. <laughs> I am now convinced he had a coal every week before he came here. But the, uh, the good timing uh, is that Father's Day, what a blessing to do this, and you'll, you'll see how the message today will come around, and you'll see how it applies to us on Father's Day. But, uh, but more interestingly, it, uh, I didn't realize this, it wasn't set because of this, but a week or two ago, I was looking through the calendar, and I realized that it was uh, 45 years ago this very Sunday that Carol and I had moved into town and spent our first Lord's Day. We came here on a, on a Friday, and uh, many of you are familiar with the infamous story of not having the money to be able to, to stay in the, apart, in the uh, apartment or the, uh, yeah, the apartment that we were renting or going to rent, and uh, they gave us till Monday, and then God on Sunday, in a most amazing, can't explain it, way, through a man that I saw that day, gave us the $600. Many of you remember that $600 story. Well, I called that man just yesterday and just to say, thank you, your $600 has gone a long way, I'll assure you. So anyway, uh, privileged to be able to do it on this particular week. Uh, my message uh, is entitled, uh, The Three Most Unwanted Gifts from God. But it's gonna take us a few minutes before we get to those three gifts or if I just launched into them, it, it wouldn't mean anything, probably. Uh, but uh, I, I introduced this by sharing a story of a few weeks ago. I was invited to a very prominent Christian school outside of Atlanta, but a very prominent Christian school, and uh, was asked to do the graduation speech. And so I was doing that, and in introducing it, I began with uh, what I would say a very discouraging prediction. The prediction was that and this is a, a, a school that has people that they really use, they're gospel-centered, they are, are truly um, you know, kingdom-focused. It's a wonderful, wonderful school. And so the vast majority would be kids that would say they were Christ followers. I say, here's my prediction. This is simply based on guys that have been in my discipleship group hearing their story year after year after year after year after year and hear similar type of things. I said, I would... I'll be surprised if at least, if not at least 50% of all the people that are sitting here in your class today who now love Jesus in 10 years will not be followers of Jesus. Just a prediction. 
I do know this, that statistically, churchgoers who graduate from high school in four years will not be going to church. 60% of all those that were church attenders. And we ask the question, why? Well, it's easier to look at Georgia and know because probably 60% are going to the University of Georgia. So that probably, <laughs> probably explains it, but actually, here's my suggestion. I think they're not following the Lord because they're disappointed with God. I think they get disappointed with God. I think they're disappointed because of what God has allowed. Dreams that have been shattered. Hopes that have been part of life growing up. Pain. Depression. Loss of loved ones that can't be explained. Why him? Why her at this age? And all of a sudden, sudden, something happens in the brain and it says, I can't believe what I once believed. I just can't do it. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy for Christians in this situation? How about each of us? You don't think that there's a large number of us right now that says I would never say it, but I feel the very same things. I'm disappointed with God. Maybe it's even turned into anger. I just don't get it, God. I have followed faithfully. I have loved you. Now this is what you give me. And that's where we land. So the question is, how do we change our beliefs? And you say, well, what do you mean your beliefs? Well, here is what I would call the wrong belief that we certainly want to escape from, and that would be this. We begin to think God is either not sovereign, meaning he's not in control, or he's not, he's not loving. He's, he's unloving. Yeah, maybe both, I don't know. It's kind of how we begin to think. We don't like that thinking. We try to push away from it, but that's the way we feel. That's our perception. Versus the truth, which we know this is where we should be, is that God is sovereign in the hardest of my times while always demonstrating his love and his goodness to me. Now, some hear that, you're thinking, yeah, <laughs> easier said than done. Been there, tried that. You realize that you and I cannot make ourselves change our beliefs. We can't do it. We can say, I'm gonna change it, I'm gonna think on, on what's right, I'm not gonna believe it, I'm not gonna believe it, and we'll still think what well, we're prone to think. In some respects, like the, uh, I was in a, a tournament, golf tournament one time, and the guy that was in the lead through the whole thing, two of them were in the last group, and, and as he was coming in, he was fighting to beat that guy that he was neck to neck with the tournament. And then it happened to be that when he beat that guy and came off the green celebrating, he realized that someone in the group before him had gone so low as to beat him. I'll never forget when he looked at me and he said, little did I know I had my foot on the wrong snake. I think that's what we as Christians have done. We got our, we got our feet on the wrong snake. 
you realize that most believers, I mean, most beliefs, they have underlying, and I'm gonna use this word, I want our young people to be able to stay with me, but presuppositions, pre-before. The word supposition, the root of that is suppose. There are certain things that we suppose that cause our beliefs to be what our beliefs become. And believe it or not, I think we believe this, most of the Christian world today shares very much, very much of the world's presuppositions. They do. And over time, those beliefs that we held growing up as children and okay, God loves us and God this and this is gonna happen and we're all good and everything's gonna, then all of a sudden, those presuppositions that lay beneath began to show how rotten they are. And those presuppositions cause our beliefs to crumble. And we wonder why. I have previously in the life of this church used the story of a, uh, a golf professional who had come to me and needing help in his personal life. After sharing how he's a good man and you know, followed God, he's, I'm da, 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 da. He just goes through, but, but here's my situation. He says, I'm alcoholic, I'm having an affair, and the list went on, and, I, and he said, I don't understand. I'm trying so hard. I'm fighting hard. I'm getting help. I'm doing everything I can to get better, but I cannot get better. Any ideas? And I'm just sitting there thinking, presuppositions, said, can I ask you a question? It's about golf and you're one of the finest in the world. You know the, you know the game, you can teach it as well as anybody, you can play it as well as anybody. True or false, I've heard it's true. Get the right grip on the club, get the right posture for your swing, and get the right alignment to your target. And if you conquer those three and know nothing about the golf swing, and you practice well, will you become a pretty good golfer? He said, no doubt about it. If you can hold those three from beginning to end of a swing, yes, you'll be a good golfer. I said, is the opposite true? Bad grip, bad posture, bad alignment. Regardless how hard you practice, you will never be a very good golfer. He said, absolutely true. And I was able to reveal to him that the same is true of the Christian faith of life in general. As you realize this, do you know that we have a grip, posture, and alignment? Our grip is our view of self. Our posture is our view of God. Our alignment, it's our view of God's ways. I said, now you could look at my grip, posture, line in my golf swing and you could tell me exactly where I'm wrong. Couldn't you do that? He said, sure I could. I said, you know, I can look at your grip, posture, and alignment your view of God, your view of yourself, of God, and God's ways. And I can probably tell you how well your Christian life is gonna go, how well you're gonna understand things. I said, do you wanna test? He said, sure. I said, I'll give you four, four responses to a question in each category. Let's take, your, let's take your grip, your view of yourself. Do you believe that, do you believe that man, mankind, all people, they're good? They're good with a little bad, secondly. Third, they're bad with a little good, or are they just flat bad? Well, he picked the wrong one. I said, well, you got a bad grip. I know that much. 
Can I be wrong? Sure, I can be wrong, but if you're asking my opinion, there's your problem. Let's check your posture. I gave him four ants, got the wrong one. I said, okay, you got a bad grip and a bad posture. Let's check out your alignment. He missed it. I said, do you realize, according to the Bible, if you want to give it any credibility, you got a bad grip posture alignment. You got your foot on the wrong snake. You're trying to conquer this and conquer that, and I'll do this and I'll change this, and you're not going to do it unless you change your presuppositions. But I'm going to use that analogy of grip, posture, and alignment to represent three in what I'm going to call faulty presuppositions. And these are prepositions that undermine our Christian beliefs when hard times begin to come. So the grip, view of, view of self, posture, view of God. And remember, alignment is simply going to be our view of God's ways. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to intermesh something. I'm going to take the gospel. Y'all have heard me if you've been here for many years. You've heard me constantly use a, uh, a description of the gospel that is simply threefold. We lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. If you've never heard that, if you want to know the gospel, there's the heart of it right there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how the gospel, a fragmentation, a distortion of that gospel will easily bring us to the wrong presuppositions so when these things hit us in life, we don't stand a chance. So let's start with the three inaccurate presuppositions that shape our beliefs during hard times and how they are sustained, how they are sustained, the wrong beliefs are sustained by the distorted gospel that Christians hold and how they are shattered, literally shattered by the authentic gospel. So let's take our grip first of all. We'll take just a couple minutes here. Our grip, our view of self. So I'll put up here, what is our inaccurate presupposition? That I'm a good person and I deserve better than what I'm experiencing. Whereas the truth says, because of my sin, I don't deserve any expression of the goodness of God. So we take part one of the gospel, the authentic gospel. It corrects the grip, it really does. If you ever get this corrected, your, your grip, it's gonna take care of itself. Either we lost a lot, which is the distorted gospel, that we lost a lot, oh, we lost our perfection. Or we believe the authentic gospel. No, 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 no. We lost our perfection, but we also lost our goodness. And that's where people struggle. What happens to that young girl, 11 years of age? She lives in North Africa. Sweetest, kindest, most adorable little girl. She's killed in a car wreck at a very young age. She wakes up in the morning and she says, Allah, I love you, Allah. She dies, what happens to her? And Christian after Christian, their response is, well, I mean, I know the, the Bible does say, and I realize that it is true that, uh, you know, it's very, uh, that it's kind of, Randy, help me out. That's been a hard one for me all along. Whoa, whoa, what do we say to that? And I say, you see, 
We all buy it, don't we? There's just a little goodness in all of us. Then here comes David, the great King David of the Old Testament. He says very, very clearly in Psalm 14, he says, there's none good, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. Paul took that and he quotes it in Romans chapter three. He says, there's none good, no, not one. There's none who seek for God. There's nobody who seeks for God. There's none good, no, not one. Then Jesus comes along in between the two of them. And Jesus is approached by a man that says, good teacher. He says right there, he says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you call me good? Do you not know that there's none good but one? And that's God. Now, he's not denying that he's good. He's saying, you don't believe I'm God. Why would you call me good? There's only one who is good. So our choice of gospels will determine beliefs of whether or not we deserve the goodness of God. How about our posture? Let's take our posture, our view of God. Here's the inaccurate presupposition. God either doesn't care about me or maybe he's not even capable to help me. Whereas the truth says, God proves his love for us by sending his son on our behalf. That's what the gospel says. It's not necessarily what we feel, but here comes along the second and third parts of the gospel. Part two of the gospel says either he did a lot or he did it all. How many Christians believe, oh, he did a lot? Every aspect of my salvation has to be given credit to him. Well, 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 except there's that belief that I did bring to the table and Repentance, I did bring it to the table, and you know, he did a lot. I did, I did very little, just faith and repentance, but, and we have salvation. Whereas those that understand the authentic gospel said, oh, no, no, no. He did it all. Nothing can we credit ourselves with. Third part of the gospel comes along. Either we get a lot, or we get it all. Where do we land? Many, many Christians say, oh, I believe we get a lot of forgiveness, heaven, grace, mercy. But they won't put in there the full righteousness of Jesus because they can't because of what they've believed previous. Well, I only lost a lot and he only did a lot. We have to believe that we, we only get a lot. A lot, that's good. But no, no, no. We get God placing upon us his son's righteousness so that he views us, hear this, as righteous as he views his own son. We die and stand in his presence and it's, he looks at us like he's looking at his own child, his son. Let me tell you, it'll make all the difference in the world. A distorted gospel, boy, it'll open the door to all kind of faulty presuppositions. In fact, It'll drive us to the performance traps. Oh gosh, look what's he gonna do to me now. Look what I did. Oh, look how I blew that. Oh no, now I can't. Oh, I'll never. Totally wrong. But of course, it's because I still have to perform. I started with my performance and a little faith and repentance and I've got to keep my, I've got to keep my performance through obedience and that's how it's gonna happen. No, the authentic gospel, it overwhelms us with the goodness 
of God and his grace. So I had an opportunity, special opportunity to play a round of golf with one of the top golfers in the world. When I say that, I mean, we're talking multiple majors. I'm talking about multiple uh, masters. I mean, this guy's as good as anybody who's probably ever played. I was talking to him. I said, let me ask you a question. I'm just curious to get in the mind of someone like yourself. When you stand up at the Masters and you're on the 18th hole and you know that you can't blow this hole or you lose the Masters. This is the final round. And you see that little chute that just goes forever so narrow and you got to drive it right down the middle. I said, do you ever sit there and go, stand there and go, oh, oh, oh I got to get that thing through there. I cannot, I cannot blow it. I got to get straight through it. He looked at me like I was crazy. He said, no, I wouldn't believe, would never think that. And I said, why? Why wouldn't you? He said, well, I should say I will under one condition. If I don't have my alignment correct, that's the only thing I worry about. Am I lined up correctly? Huh. You know, it's very true about us with our understanding of the things of God. When it comes to our view of God's ways, we don't have to be thinking now about, well, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself? The grip and posture, once we get those, we get those. We better keep coming back to this alignment. We gotta apply those things that we know about ourselves and about God, and we gotta apply it to the way we're living, what we're seeing in God's ways in our lives. So, how about our alignment, our view of God's ways? Here's the incorrect one. Incorrect presupposition. God, either God has nothing to do with my pain and misery, or he allows both in my life in order to either punish me or maybe to make my life miserable. Whereas the truth, look at the truth. The truth says, no, God gives us painful gifts. I love that. Painful gifts that we hate but which allow us to gain what we ultimately need and want. So what are those painful gifts? It's what I call, as I introduced the title of this message, the three most unwanted gifts from God. Here they are. Suffering, weakness, and denied abundance. So to close it out, let's just look at those three. And they begin to make sense once that you get the gospel understood. Johnny Erickson, well, before I go to that, let me, uh, let me just say this, because this is important. For uh, Christians, we may have hard times because there are consequences of, of maybe some poor judgment or sinful behaviors, and there are consequences, that's it. But folks, we are never, as Christians, we are never being punished by God. I spoke of Steve Brown earlier. He had a joke one time when he was talking about it. He said, so what do you think God's gonna do when you stand in his presence? You stand in his presence and you're thinking, God, why did you allow those things to happen in my life? What do you think he's gonna say? You think he's gonna say, because you ticked me off, that's why. <laughs> no. The answer is going to be totally different. He doesn't do it to punish. By the way, do you realize there's nothing in the Bible anywhere that would truly suggest, if you know the scripture of that the text, 
There's no place that it says that we shouldn't be going through, that we, we get this pass, that we get exempt as Christians from all of the pain and suffering and hardship that the rest of the world's going through. You know that? Oh, we don't have some of the consequences because we don't do some of the things that other people do. But basically, I mean, we're, it's the same brokenness. We all experience it. In fact, it's just the opposite. Listen to what God's word says in John 16. This is what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that you, that in me, you may have peace. And in this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. He didn't say, hey, you shouldn't be having these problems. Uh, look what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. He said, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's among you. What does that mean, the fiery ordeal? The pain, the suffering, the heartaches, the depression, all the kind of things, it's part of life which comes upon you for your testing. Don't receive it as though some strange thing were happening to you. Why do we Christians believe that? Well, Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegian, if you know her story, from high school on, lost the use of, both, of all four limbs in her incredible book that everyone should read because all of us suffer. Her book, When God Weeps, says God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. How many times has Perimeter Church heard that from me? God allows what he hates. Boy, he hates our suffering. Oh, he hates it. Boy, does he love what it accomplishes. Boy, did he hate to see how his son had to suffer. But boy, does he love what it accomplished. James 1 Verses two through four says, consider it all joy then, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Anybody want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? I do. Well, then you got to know that suffering is part of that process. And the last text here on this one, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 71, says, the psalmist says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. This is probably David writing, that I may learn your statutes and that in faithfulness, you, God, have afflicted me. How many Christians want to build a theology that says God would never do anything that hurts me? God would never allow anything. God wouldn't do that. That's not God. Well, you got a little problem here in Scripture. David certainly believed just the opposite. He says, oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. Meaning, I expect loving kindness in the midst of all the hardship. He didn't have to say hardship, no love. He said hardship and God's love. Paul Tripp in his great devotional, New Morning Mercies, he said, this life is not our destination. We tend to think it is. It is our preparation for our eternal destination. Oh, but this life is not everything I hoped it'd be. This life's not everything. Well, yeah, but the next life will be, and it'll be far better with the crowns that you'll receive from the things you've gone through. I said at dinner just a number of weeks ago 
with a man in this church who's battling cancer. It's left him irrepaired in certain areas of life that's gonna make life hard forever. How long he lives with this cancer, nobody knows. But I sat through that dinner, him telling the story of cancer and what he's lost and what he can't do and how hard it is. And tears came down his face as he said, I wouldn't trade my cancer for anything. What's happened in my life, which is most important, it couldn't be without cancer. Oh, what a gift of cancer. Have y'all heard that Tim Keller, fighting very hard, great theologian and part of our Presbyterian Church of America, dear friend of mine. You know that Tim just said, as prayers were going out, this is a very, very, very important week to his future, whether what's gonna happen with him. And he says, you know, this year of cancer, this has been the happiest year of my life. You're not just saying that. There's something to it. They know, they understand. Let's talk about weakness. What about weakness? Well, the prevailing view of Christians is that we hate weakness and we therefore hide our weakness. We don't want it and we don't want anybody to know we have it if we do. Well, the biblical view is, well, no, you should boast in your weaknesses and you should be very content with your weaknesses. Hmm? Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, and he, God, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, persecutions, difficulties. For Christ's sake, that's why I can. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, how good is that? You know, in verses seven and eight, he refers to the, this is just before that text, he refers to the thorn in the flesh that he had. He never identified it. He did say that a messenger of Satan was actually bringing to him that which God is using. And he called it to torture me. Wait, God the Father is using Satan to deliver something on his behalf that's going to actually torture him, meaning it gave him all kind of challenges. We say, well, what, what is it? What is it? Don't know. I'll say this, the next verse says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. I have a thorn, one primary thorn. I used to talk about it to my peers, and I used to talk about it pretty openly. Now I realize I don't need to do that anymore. Now I understand maybe why Paul didn't, never identified it. Because every time I brought it up, and started talking about it, people tried to talk me out of why, no, 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 that's not really true. That's not really true. You don't, you don't struggle there. That's not happening. That's not true. Okay, I'm gonna, won't bring it up. But I'll tell you this, my thorn, it leaves me very insecure about doing what I'm doing right now. You don't know what I went through last night, just preparing and thinking about this. This morning, getting up early. You've heard me say, I really don't care about preaching a lot. It's not something I long to do. 
well, why? I said, well, you don't understand because that's when my insecurity comes alive the most. And it hurts me being a pastor. And I look at a high school test that's a career, you know, test to tell you what you'd be good at. And of 40 careers, the lowest of 40 was to be a minister. I say, God? And he says, you know what, though? You may live with insecurity, but you're going to have to trust and depend upon me. Some of you remember the time that I shared the story of few years, just a few years ago, when my last, probably my last year, I was, I was getting ready for Saturday night service. Carol said, you ready? I said, are you talking about prepared for the message? I'm ready. Are you talking about, am I emotionally ready to stand up and preach this weekend? I said, Carol, you don't even understand me. You know everything about me, but it's like I'm on the edge of a cliff as one who has fear of heights. And you might remember when I shared this one time, when I hear God say to me, lean forward and flap your arms. You will fly. And I don't, I said, I know I fly. I've had years of flying, but I still don't see how does that work? How does it work? The reality is that's the very thing that I should glory in that it didn't come easily for me, that it wasn't natural for me. And when we find those things that aren't, why wouldn't we just rejoice in them and say, ooh, this is where I could be made strong in him. The last one is denied abundance. It's very brief. One little text here, Proverbs 30. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. So here's the, here's the, I mean, wisdom author. And he's saying, two things I want to ask for you, God. So I go, what are those two things? What would I ask? He says, number one, keep uh, deception and lies far from me. What? That's one of your two? You just used one for that? But then I get to realize, well, wait, wait, no, he understood. He's wise. That if you got lies and deception in the foundation of your life, everything that's built on your life will be destroyed. So he's pretty smart there. Okay, gotcha. But what about the next one? Secondly, give me neither poverty, got that. Please don't give me riches. Feed me with just the portion that is mine. Don't give me too much, don't give me too little. How many people as Christians live with that thought mindset? I know that I got a little pump when I, a little boost on this one when I started, Carol and I started having children. Had a little boy, loved sports, hoping he's gonna be an athlete. Oh, maybe he'll be one of the best athletes ever. Really good athlete. But there were those blue chippers that you saw that were, you're gonna see them on the weekends. You know, you're gonna see them in the majors. And not that there are no exceptions, but I was coaching him some of those years and going to all these games and I'll tell you this, I'd watch those little boys blue chippers, not that there are no exceptions, but I say, I don't want my son like that. I don't want my son like that. Hmm. Had a little girl next. I thought, oh, how fun to walk around with a little girl and, and she's holding my little pinky and all the heads turn. I think she'll be the most beautiful woman ever. Well, 
beautiful young lady, beautiful young girl. But you talk about the beauty queens. I mean, the ones that are in the competition. You see those girls and what happens? Not that they're no exception, but you go, I don't want my daughter like that. I don't want her thinking of herself that way. And then I began to understand, oh, this thing is not about just money. This is about intelligence. This is about ministry accomplishments. It's about business accomplishments. It's about all these things that we just do everything to get. Oh, if I can just be the best, if I can just win everything, if I can not lose, if I can just. And God says, I'll pray for either, you know, just the right amount. Not too little, not too much. You know, when I realized that, I realized God was not saying, live in mediocrity. Mediocrity. Just try to. No, if you've got a great brain, use it as best you can. You got great business acumen, use it to the best you can. You got ministry, use it. You got, I don't care what it is, sports, do the best you can within the construct of wisdom of use of time. But I'll tell you this, I learned this in life. If you want riches in any area of life, you just want it and you happen to get it, it will destroy you. It will. But if you understand this, you say, Lord, you've given me riches. I got to hold my open hand and I'd just love for you to take them and just let me have this much, but I will bear the burden of stewarding a lot that you've given to me. Having said that on my birthday last year, which was, uh, Two months after our family vacation, I was turning 70, and so they, Carol said, what do you want to do, and what do you want to do something special? And I said, here's what I want to do. On our vacation, I want to get our 15 grandkids together. I want us to have us together, and I want to offer them a gift that they can earn very simply. Gift's not much, but it'll catch their attention at their ages. It's a $20 bill. So, two months prior, I said, here's the deal, guys. I'll give you $20 on the night of my birthday if you can simply do this. Sit down with me that night and quote the three most unwanted gifts from God. If you can do that, you get $20. And they all did it. And then at the end of each little two or three minute reciting, whatever. Then what I did is I had the $20 bill and I took a picture. They took a picture of me holding one end and them holding the other. And then I went to their parents and I said to their parents, you remind them for me. When these three enter into their lives, you remind them, this is what Pops was talking about. This is a gift of God, you're suffering. This is a gift of God, you're weak. This is a gift of God, he's denied abundance. But it is a good gift from God. You do that. Having shared that, I close with Father's Day. For some of us, it's gonna be very special. For others, it, it won't be very special. 
For some, the, it's not so special. It's because they didn't have a good dad. I think I had a great dad, but not for long. 30 years, 30 years before he died, he abandoned our family with a note saying, I'll never see you again. And he held his note. What do you think Father's Day was like for the next years for me right after that? I mean, obviously, my father is, I thought he loved me, but he abandoned me. That's how a lot of us feel, isn't it? My father, I thought he loved me, but he must have abandoned me. Now, for others, it's going to be very special, the memories of or the time with today that is spent. But even then, you know your father. He was far from perfect, as all fathers are. Hear this, every child, whether you're my age or you're a little kid, every child loves and trusts their father based on the perception of their love for and behavior towards them. We look at our father and we say, what is your, how much do you love me? What's your behavior like that backs that up? Well, the same is true of our Heavenly Father. That's why the psalmist says this, whoever is wise will consider the goodness of the Lord. So can I leave you with this? Would you consider the goodness of the Lord? Would you take maybe the two texts of Romans 5, 8, memorize it? God demonstrates his love for us, and while we're yet sinners, he died for us. Or Romans chapter 8, 32, he's... He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Kind of shake up that grip posture alignment and get it back together. Take that gospel and rivet into it until you believe, hey, I lost it all. I really believe he did it all. I believe I got it all. And I'll tell you this, those texts, that gospel, it will cause us to pause when we find ourselves disappointed, maybe even angry with God. And then all of a sudden, the joy of knowing God's love that will never be separated from us. It will overshadow the worst of any problems we're gonna have. I'm gonna introduce a song that's gonna be sung for us and we'll stay seated. It's a song that has become perhaps my favorite song right now. I listen to it over and over and over. I'm not one that cries much. This one gets me. It gets me because it's entitled When I Cry. And I love to take the people I love the most and picture them in the presence of their Savior Jesus, in the midst of their pain, and picture them Seeing Jesus cry, wow. And even in my own life, what I go through, and thinking when that happens, Jesus cries. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that you and your Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, loves us as your children so much. Thank you for the good news that we get in the gospel. Thank you that 
though we lost it all, that you did it all, and we've been given the privilege to have it all. And I pray that might overwhelm us to greater and greater degrees all the years of our lives. And in comparison, the suffering of this present world will not be worthy to be compared to your goodness and your love that we experience every day and for all eternity. So we thank you in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.